Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Welcome back to Dear Prudence. I am, as always, Mallory Ortberg, also known as Dear Prudence. And today in the studio, we have the guest I have been waiting for since day one. It is Nicole Cliff, light of my life, um, heart of my own heart, uh, former co-founder of The Toast and current best friend in my life. Uh, I'm really excited to get to that. So I'm going to rush through all the rest of the components of the show in order to maximize Nicole time. Uh, I want to get started by acknowledging something that came up in the live chat today uh, and and possible solutions that were suggested that I, I think we should not do. Uh, somebody wrote in, he is upset because uh, his aunt was recently, he was showing her pictures uh, of his recent trip and trying to, you know, follow best practices, right? When you show someone pictures on your phone, it's like, first you make sure, hey, are any of like my dirty pictures like close enough to this that someone else could see it? Uh, that was not the case. She grabbed the phone, scrolled through them super fast, at, like went through 300 photos in a minute and saw some dick pics. You know, he's a he's a guy who dates, uh, he's a young adult who is sexually active. And so sometimes he looks at pictures of people's genitals, um, as do many of us. And she really made a meal out of it. She was like, oh, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe this happened. And she's always bringing it up now. Like, oh, I'd, I'd ask to see your phone, but I don't want to see a dick. Um, and frankly, being a real dick about the whole situation. I'm so sorry. That was too obvious. And I apologize to all of you. I violated your trust. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's ridiculous. I think she's totally out of line. I think you should assume that everybody's phone is just filled with the kind of filth that you don't want to see, not because filth is bad, but because you don't want to have that information on other people unless you plan on exchanging filth. Um, and a lot of people were saying, hey, there's ways that you can hide your photos. There's ways that you can like put your phone on a certain lock so that if someone else is scrolling through it, uh, they can't see your dick pic. And that's all well and good if you're like in a home where you can't trust your own privacy and there's a possibility that a parent or somebody else would, uh, you know, violate your privacy. Sure. But in general, no, don't live your life according to the whims of the nosy ants of the world. It is your phone. There's an expectation of privacy. You keep dick pics on there. All you have to do is make sure you're not actually like flipping through them to show someone else a picture of like your dog. Uh, you're good to go. That is like the most anyone can ask of you. Keep all the pictures of all the genitals that you want on your phone. And if somebody grabs your phone and flips through the archives, like that is on them. They are asking to look at dicks or butts or something. And uh, if they don't like it, then that's on them. They should look at the genital pictures on their own phone, which, come on, they have. Like she's never looked at a dick on her own phone. Nonsense. Balderdash and hogwash. So, you know. Keep them on your phone, man. If somebody says, can I use your phone and you want to say no, say no. You have that right. You can say, I'll look it up for you. But I'm just going to handing off like my most private possession that like we all take in the bathroom with us. Uh, you know, that's yours. You have that right. I want to share one more letter that we got from a listener because uh, they they have appropriately chided me. I needed to be chid. 
and and I would like to now read the chiding to you so that you can all uh, collectively experience the slap on the wrist that I need. Uh, Dear Prudence, your response to Greedy Sister had bad tax advice in it. For those of you who don't recall, that was from the woman who wanted to anonymously donate to her niece's tuition for college, but because of uh, her own sister's kind of bad history of taking money intended for the children, she wanted to do so in a way that would not involve the girl's mother in any way. Uh, So... Your response to Greedy Sister had bad tax advice in it. You do not get a tax deduction for helping an individual pay their tuition. You use the word donate. Paying someone's tuition, regardless whether it's anonymous or not, does not give you a tax deduction, nor is it a donation. And you do not get a tax deduction by setting up a trust to target a specific individual's tuition. If that were the case, many people would be doing it. You need a retraction, and I'd recommend you quit providing charitable tax advice. I think it's illegal. Otherwise, I enjoy your column. This is one of the best letters I've ever gotten. Uh, I uh, clearly could not have been more mistaken about all of my non-professional tax advice. Um, And it's just wonderful to read something that's like, I think it's illegal. Otherwise, I enjoy your column. Uh, except for that enormous caveat that you are providing illegal and mistaken tax advice. Um, that's totally true. Uh, I, I am not a tax attorney in any way, shape, or form. Uh, I hope that you are. Uh, you you sounded like one right up until the end when you said you thought it was illegal. It seemed like you sort of lost uh, the the like sense of confidence that had been sort of powering the whole letter up until then. But at any rate, uh, you are correct. I am incorrect. Again, it's great that I ended my letter telling her to check in with a real tax attorney um, because hopefully that tax attorney will say the same thing, which is that Dear Prudence is not a tax attorney and uh, she was wrong. So uh, on that note, I would like to introduce another person who is not a tax attorney um, and will not be giving any legal advice today. Nicole Cliff, uh, the co-founder of The Toast, uh, my favorite person in the whole wide world, uh, a woman who is constantly posting threads from the relationship subreddit on Reddit, uh, which are all questions that I wish so much people would send to me because they are so bananas. Uh, I love them so much. I love reading them. I love everything about her. Nicole, welcome to the show. I am so pleased to be here and for you to appreciate the work I do curating Reddit for the world. You had the most amazing one today about the Lord of the Rings themed wedding. Ooh, oh man, I just I just don't see how you spring uh, your lifelong wish to have a Lord of the Rings themed wedding on your fiance after you've gotten engaged. I mean, that's like a date three talk if you're like, by the way, you know, someday we're doing a fully fledged. <laughs> oh, yeah. And I loved I loved that one person's advice was just like the furthest I'd be willing to budge is two Enya songs during the reception and putting on elf ears in the bedroom. Oh, like that was just so harsh and so beautiful at the same time. I, frankly, it seemed like pretty open minded to me. Well, you know, they 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 want to roll with the punches and I appreciate that. Yeah, I just feel like Lord of the Ring wedding is either something you want more than anything in the world or it's something you want zero amount. There's not a lot of in between. Oh, no, there's no compromise. There's no compromise on that front. But also to me, I'm like, if you require a Lord of the Rings themed wedding, I don't know how you found a life partner for whom that wasn't also their lifelong dream. Like, how are you winding up with someone who's like, I'm kind of into Lord of the Rings? I don't know. I don't know. I have a lot of questions, but um, I feel for both of them and uh, I don't have high hopes for them working it out. Speaking of people we don't have high hopes for, I think we should start with this first letter, oh, bring uh, it. which is a doozy. And um, I think I'm going to have you read this one, if you don't mind, Nicole. Uh, will I would you, love will to. you lead us in? Thank you. Dear Prudence, 
Six years ago, I met a guy very different from anybody I'd been involved with before. I became completely enamored. I moved away, but we kept in touch. We met for dinner a few times. There was some flirting and kissing, but that's all. After all this time, I am still obsessed with him. We text often, talk on the phone every week or so. He's intelligent, attractive, and funny. I'm a couple of years older than he is, and neither of us are kids. He has stood me up numerous times, usually without even a call. He always responds if I contact him, but rarely initiates contact. A couple of years ago, I reached the crazy stalker point and went to his house when he wouldn't answer his phone, which was terribly embarrassing. Still, I can't let go of this non-relationship. We follow the same pattern time after time. I arrange to be in his area, either for other reasons or just to try to see him. He agrees to something, then either has an excuse or just disappears. I cry, scream, yell at him via text or voicemail or email, to which he doesn't respond. A couple of days later, I feel bad about the terrible things I've said or called him, and I end up apologizing to him. And we repeat the cycle. I'm not looking for marriage or even a full-time relationship, but I can't get him out of my head. I've wasted so many hours bracket years, end bracket, and quite a lot of money, not to mention emotional energy on someone who makes no effort and I can't seem to stop. I'm not dating and have no interest in meeting anyone else. I try to eliminate him from my life and I last less than a week before contacting him. I think about him constantly and everything seems to remind me of him. I do not want to be his buddy. There are plenty of interesting things I could be doing and I'm financially comfortable and I'm missing a lot by not being able to break this hold. How on earth do I get my life or any life back? Six years wasted is just ridiculous." Oh my god, this is like a Marlena Dietrich movie. I am broken on the wheel of this situation. I'm so sorry that this is the one that we started with, because this is, like, huge. Uh, and it's going to take a lot more than just the two of us talking about her on a podcast to, to help. But yeah, this was like the Blue Angel. You know the Marlene Dietrich movie? Oh, for sure. The, he sees her singing in the nightclub and then basically just like throws his whole life away to follow her around while she repeatedly kicks him in the face. Oh, he's her Blue Angel. There's no way around it. Yeah, watch watch the Blue Angel, actually. Uh, that would <laughs> First be, step. That would be a helpful uh, uh, film recommendation for you right now, just to see like what this looks like from the outside. My first piece of advice to this woman, well, I mean, it seems suggesting you go into therapy is such obvious, obvious advice in this case, but still, you know, definitely go into therapy. And I think um, not just therapy, but like go to therapy and tell the therapist like this is an emergency. Yes. Um, I, like this, I'm in crisis. You should, you should be going to a therapist, frankly, on a daily basis right now. Um, like I, I just really want to echo like this isn't like oh, no, I'm involved with this guy who's really indifferent and I need to figure out how to kick him out of my life. Like, you're not you're not behaving in a way that is okay for an adult to behave. Like, you are, you're like a bad week away from somebody calling the police on you. And I don't want that for you. And I definitely don't want this poor guy to have to go through any more of what you've put him through. Like, it's not that like, oh, he doesn't initiate contact because we're kind of involved, but I like him more than he likes me. It's like, it sounds like he's had to kind of arrange his life around managing you to keep you from blowing up at him or showing up at his house or like hurling emotional bombs into his life. And um, I feel really sorry for him. I, I, I think that's terrible. Like if he'd written to me asking for advice, I would be very sympathetic to him. Um, sorry, Nicole, I just wanted to start by making it clear, like how not okay I think this is. Oh, like, no, ugh. absolutely. I think that's really important. Frankly, I think that what she might be somehow managing to think of as mixed messages are just the fact that he's afraid to cut off completely because she came to his house. Like these are the um, accepting contact when she asks for it is literally his way of keeping the situation at this manageable, terrible level and trying to prevent escalation. Right. And not in any way that he enjoys talking to you occasionally. Yeah, I think you should see this as not like, oh, if I could only figure out a way to 
keep him at the level where he's answering my texts and displaying some kind of interest in me. That's the good stuff. I need to figure out how to get rid of the stuff where I show up at his house or blow up at him. Uh, I think you really need to, yeah, acknowledge like he is trying to keep you from like emotionally abusing him. Um, and that's hard, I think, to see about yourself. Like, I think you're clear on the fact that this isn't okay. You're clear that you're behaving in a way that's like desperate and controlling and and not good for you. I, I worry that you kind of don't see this as like you're terrifying this poor person and he's doing his best to keep you from blowing up by allowing you to have certain amounts of contact with him because when he tries to move away, you don't allow it. There's a... Uh... I would. I do not often recommend a specific Reddit-based solution to people in life crises, but in addition to the profound amounts of therapy and uh, you know self-helping that I would recommend in this situation, there's a Reddit community called No Contact, mm. and it is meant to support people through going no contact with their exes. It's kind oh, of wow. like AA, and there is a lot of accountability in it. And I think that it might be very helpful for her to work through the process of going completely, completely strict no contact. I'm talking, you need to block every avenue of access you have to this person. You need to have other people in your life helping you with yes. it. And you yes. need to say to them, I have compulsive, frankly, dangerous behaviors towards this person, and I need your help. And I think that yeah. there's no way that you're going to be able to slowly dip your toe in the water of not stalking this person which you are doing yeah i think that's part of the thing right is like what you've been doing for six years has not been working and i think the only thing that's going to help you break this pattern is by acknowledging how bad this is uh, and that's going to feel embarrassing i'm sure that there's a part of you that does not want to acknowledge it's gotten this bad or that it's gone on that long because it will make you feel embarrassed and and small and i get that um but unless you want this to turn into 12 years like unless yes. you want to do this for the rest of your life um, I think you need to treat this as seriously as it is. So, like, y you say, I can't let go of this non-relationship. We follow the same pattern. Then he just has an excuse and disappears. And then I end up apologizing to him after I, like, cuss him out. And you kind of say that, like, oh, I can't believe I'm apologizing to him when he's flaking on me. Again, he's flaking on you because you guys went out a couple of times six years ago and you have not let him go away. That's not okay. He's not flaky. He's not inconsistent. He's not sending you mixed messages. You're stalking him and you need to stop. So you need to go to a therapist. You need to find a good therapist and you need to say, I am like damaging this other person's life and I cannot stop. Please help. You need to like, if you need to get rid of your phone for a little while, like that might make life complicated. It might make work tough. Like you need to take drastic action. Tell your family, tell your close friends, ask them to ask you on a regular basis. Are you getting in touch with him? Um, like tell them to call you out, like like invite other people's help because I want you to be a better person than this. And I think there's you want to be a better person than this. You get that this is a problem, but you don't yet realize how much of the problem is you. Um, I don't think this guy is leading you on. I don't think that he's being inconsistent. I don't think he's sending mixed messages. I don't think that if you just try a little harder one day, he's going to realize what great fuck buddies you would make. I also think you're lying when you say that you don't want marriage or a relationship because whatever you want from him, uh, it's pretty intense mm -hmm. and it's pretty ongoing and you seem willing to do just about anything to get it. Um, so don't lie to yourself by saying, gosh, I don't even want that much. I just want to like people have phone sex with him a couple times a month. You want a lot from him and you're willing to go to any lengths to get it. Um, and so I think you need to be willing to go to any lengths to fix yourself 
right now. Um, And that means like going to see a therapist, going to see a doctor, telling your friends and family, um, like setting up your day so that whatever kind of triggers happen before you get in touch with him, uh, like you're able to, if not prevent them, at least manage them or be around other people. Um, Yeah, I would say go see a doctor. Treat this like an addiction. Um, Treat this like a compulsive behavior that you can't stop on your own. Ask for help. Um, and knock it the fuck off. And you don't need to send him a letter explaining anything. You don't need to say, like, you don't need to, like, oh, I should call him to tell him I'm going to stop talking to him because that would just be an attempt to get a reaction out of him. Um, you just need to stop. I'm mad. I'm mad at you. You're fine. I don't up. think you're, yeah, I just like, I, I think you are not behaving well and you have not behaved well for a really long time and you need to do better. So, um, yeah, treat this like an emergency, man. Um, it is. I hope she takes our excellent advice. I, I do too. It's, it's, it's hard. It is hard after six years of seeing yourself as like basically Carrie and Mr. Big, like, oh, this is so dramatic and interesting. And when's it going to stop to stop and like look back and have that moment where like Liz Lemon realizes she was a bully in high school. Um, and to see yourself, sorry, I just like switched uh media properties really quickly um but to see yourself as the problem and to realize like this was actually not an equal amount of give and take i did wrong um that's really hard to do but i think it's necessary and i'm I'm really excited to hear that there's a place on reddit where people try to help each other not bother their exes that's a really good community to have Uh, they're doing great work great work (sighs) i sincerely regret that i did not have access to this community when i was getting dumped frequently in my 20s well um I'm I'm glad that you're doing okay now. Uh, as as far as I know, you do not have a habit of uh, calling and screaming at your exes, which is great. I'm glad to hear that. Do you want to uh, Do you want to move to something a little bit lighter? Let's do it. Let's move. Let's do it. All right. I'm going to read this one. Uh, it's about unnecessary cars. Dear Prudence, a good friend of mine is turning fifty and has planned a big party. I had not planned on getting her an extravagant present. She's a successful professional, so she isn't really in need of or desires anything, and I'd rather give her something sentimental. But her husband sent out an email to the entire guest list from a crowdfunding site asking if we would be willing to donate towards purchasing her a luxury but used car. He went into detail about how he would trade her current car in, and that he didn't expect people to quote-unquote break the bank but hoped that they would contribute at least what they would have spent on a present, and of course asked us all to keep it a secret so it would be a surprise. He then asked for feedback from the group concerning their thoughts on his scheme. I was very taken aback by the request. I think it puts people in a terrible position. If you don't want to participate and you say so, you're then left off the list of those who did when the time comes. If you do want to participate and had only planned on purchasing a cursory gift, one might feel like they have to put more in the kitty to save face, as it were, regardless of what they'd planned to spend or could afford. Furthermore, I'm not sure this is something that my friend's going to appreciate. She's very independent financially and otherwise. It would be one thing if her husband were purchasing it outright, but he's not. What's a person to do? I'm flummoxed. This is the worst thing I've ever heard. I <laughs> I like that we just came from a letter about someone who's like destroying their own life from the inside by becoming a stalker. And yet this car thing, this is it. This is the This is the height of it. Well, partly, I think I'm mad because in general, I think when people say things are tacky, like they're often being classist or just annoying mm-hmm. and that, you know, like people do the best they can in a lot of situations. Yeah, but this might actually... This is tacky. This is a tacky <laughs> thing. Do you know what I love about this is like the seeds for this answer are in the letter. He asked for feedback. Oh, he has asked guess you what? To tell him what you think of this idea. And I think 
you should tell him what you think of this idea. Tell him. Tell him very much more politely than we will. Mm -hmm. That you think that because your friend is very independent, financially and otherwise, that she might find this embarrassing. Yeah. Yeah, I I think this is one of those things where, like, he's just got to get a dose of honesty. I think you got to write back and say, like, I think, like, tell him everything you just told us. I think it puts people in a terrible position. Uh, I think it's unnecessary. I don't think that she wants this. Uh, I think that it's going to make a lot of people feel pressure uh, to donate more than they can afford. Uh, And, like, I I don't think that she's even going to like it. I think that asking other people to help buy her a car uh, when you don't even know that she wants one. Um, is a really bad idea, and I, I, I think you should reconsider. A luxury but used car. It's such a weird mix of extravagant and petty that I hate it. Do you know what I mean? It's remarkable. I'm just it's 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 like a like a strange crystal that I'm staring at. This question, <laughs> I just it's remarkable to me. It's remarkable. And she's yeah, fifty. You don't, I mean, right. Ah, this is like something hobbits would do, you know, and it would be fine within hobbit culture. And they would yeah, use like it the Sackville the Bagginses would do this. Yes, exactly. This is Lobelia Sackville Bagginses birthday idea. Yeah. And you don't want to be you don't want to be Lobelia. Don't be Nobody Lobelia. wants that. Yeah. No, I, I think I think you should absolutely hit him with. I think this is a bad idea because um, he's asking for feedback and uh I, I think that he should get this feedback. Like, I think this is a super clueless action on his part. Um, and I think you should just phrase it like that. Like, I think this is really ill-advised. I think you should reconsider. I think this has a potential to go wrong in several different ways, um, as, as opposed to, I think it's tacky and you're a bad person. Um, and then just let it be that. If he gets mad, fine. Uh, I wouldn't worry about it too much. I, I say get her the sentimental gift you are planning on getting her. Um, I think we're like tell him you think it's a bad idea and that regardless, you're not going to participate. You're going to get her something else. Um, and good luck. Uh, and don't do it. Yeah, don't do it. That's don't a terrible it. idea. Also, like, when's he going to trade in her car, right? Like, is her car going to go missing a week before the party? Because it takes a while to, like, trade in a car, get all the money from the crowdfunding site, buy a new car, stash that somewhere. Like, this is just really badly thought out. It's well. It's like those ads around Christmas time where some woman walks out her house and there's a big red bow on a car in her driveway. I'm like, I would probably be slightly annoyed if my husband made a major financial decision for the two of us without telling me, right? And like, what if you left stuff in the car like the night before that you were going to get out and you forgot about it? Like, where's your other car? This, I mean, this is the sort of thing Christian Gray would do, frankly. Like, this is just an over-the-top gesture, which is not kindly so much as controlling in a weird way. Yes, yes. I think that's it exactly. I think this is going to be a gift that would actually inconvenience and kind of embarrass her. And he thinks it's really thoughtful. And I hope he's well-intentioned and not just incredibly boorish. I hope he's well-intentioned, but a little bit, like, thick-headed. And that this feedback will help him turn it around. Uh, But it's also really possible that a bunch of people will write in and say, I think this is a bad idea. And he's like, you're idiots. I'll buy her this car by going extremely into debt. She'll love that as a 50th birthday present. It's going to be a beautiful gesture. And you can't appreciate the magic. Yeah, no, this is terrible. This is a terrible idea. Definitely don't participate. And I really want to hear from the wife. I really want to warn the wife, honestly. Like, if this were me and it were like, Nicole, if Steve did this and I knew how you felt, I would give you a heads up. I would say, like, act like you found out by accident. But here's what he's planning on doing. And uh, I hope you can get out of it. Thank you. You're a true friend. I would do the same for you. 
What's the uh, if if you can say it on the air? What's the worst present you've ever gotten for like a birthday from someone you were either in a relationship with or someone who thought you would really love something that you didn't? See, I got a Saw movie for Valentine's Day once year, one year, but that was actually for me like a pretty decent gift. So I uh-huh. can't really claim that. I don't know. I don't have a really great funny one. I wish I did. What about you? Oh, that's okay. Uh, yeah, I, I I don't have any like really great like used cars. I had a I dated someone in high school who would often try to buy me clothes, and it was like sort of tried to based on like what they thought I had like looked at online, but it was just like four steps too far to the left. Do you know what I mean? Where it was oh, just like, definitely. oh, this doesn't fit and it's not my style both. So Here's I can't one. even like wear it once to like make it seem like I like it. Um, this 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 doesn't this is not going to work out for any of us. Um, and had we stayed together, I have no doubt that I would have continued to say, I love it. It's wonderful. And not given them helpful feedback. And then eventually we'd be at this car stage and I would have to reevaluate my entire life. Man, just imagine the series of choices that have slowly led up to making this car thing happen. You're right. I bet she's got a lot of presents she doesn't like that she keeps in a closet. And he's just like, she loves my presents. She's always using them once I leave the house. And uh, I can't wait to see her drive this car when I'm out of town. All right. Uh, So I'll read this next one. Dear Prudence, I was invited to a baby shower for my next door neighbor and RSVP'd. A week later, I was invited on the same day to a girl's morning out with my coworkers. The neighbor has a habit of saying unkind things about other women, while my coworkers are kind, supportive of other women, and a lot of fun. I want to choose the girl's morning out and back out of the baby shower, but is that an ethical thing to do? This is so great because this is basically like every sitcom episode where Go the teenager <laughs> has to learn that like you have to honor your commitments. Oh, for sure. You've said yes to the baby shower. You're going to go to the baby shower. Like, also, a, a yeah. girl's morning out is not actually a thing. You also like can't. Yeah, is that just brunch? Girls' morning out. Like, is that just you're you're going to have brunch? You can do that any day. You eat food every day. It's true. Yeah. No. I if you if you didn't dislike this coworker enough to say no to their baby shower when you didn't have other plans, then you like can tolerate them enough to go just because there's something else you'd rather go to. And you can't, like, you can't flake on a baby shower the way you can flake on, like, a casual dinner. You know what I mean? Like, it's a baby shower. She's having a baby. They don't have, like, a shower a day. Like, you can't... I don't know. There's something really sad about the idea of a lot of people RSVPing to someone's baby shower and then, like, not showing up and someone just being like, well, my child will enter the world with no one's good wishes. No, it's just this is just something we do. It's part of the social compact. You know, no one is super excited to go play. Have you, you the, the candy bar game? Have you seen the candy bar game? Fuck is a candy bar game. Oh, Mal, you do not have enough friends who are having babies because what this is, is the lady throwing the party like mushes a candy bar into a diaper, like five different kinds of candy bars into five different diapers. And you get to examine it and try to guess what kind of candy bar it was. Aren't diapers like overflowing landfills the world over yes they aren't they like the number one i can see my producer in the booth right now by the way and she's like disappeared she's gone she's no longer here i can hear her laughing through this soundproof glass that's Um, why people don't like baby showers because of the games but you have to go i actually find that campy and hilarious but i've also never seen a human being who would do that like unironically um so I, I feel like this is an amazing opportunity for just some, like, Jane Goodall, Gorillas in the Mist style observation. Like, 
how long can a baby shower be? Two hours? You go for two hours. You give them something nice. You make friendly noises to demonstrate that you mean them no harm and you will not eat their offspring when it is born and defenseless defenseless and plump, um, which is the only reason people have baby showers is to, like, get contracts of non-aggression from healthier adult predators uh, and then, like, go do something else. You know, you'll have the whole rest of the day. Tell her she looks radiant and move on. Yeah. Yeah. No, you got to go. You got to go. I'm sorry that she's sometimes mean, but that's, you know, if it wasn't a problem when you got invited in the first place, it can't be a big enough problem for you to back out now. You go out with your coworkers another day. It's nice when we can come down like very strongly on the side of just like the traditional etiquette answer to this question is so clear. Right. No other answer. Because I feel like I'm often like, how can you get out of this stuff? Um, And so it's nice every once in a while to be like, no, the social contract must be upheld. Uh, Don't eat your friend's child. Um, even if you're having trouble locating prey. Okay, uh, I think we're ready for Jeff. And Nicole, I want you to read this. I'll do it. Dear Prudence, I've had a break with a friend of 10 years. Jeff, my husband and I, had a long-standing Friday night dinner out tradition, frequently saw movies together, etc. While at dinner, a silly argument erupted that Jeff attempted to settle with his favorite technique. Pull up Google and read at you the first random article that comes up, demanding your silence while he sets you straight. I behaved very badly, was rude, boorish, and said unkind things. I referred to him as, quote, a 10th grade dropout with a beauty certificate, end quote. I hate this part of me, believe there is never an excuse to be unkind, am very embarrassed, and feel only regret. The following morning, I offered an unreserved apology for my behavior and asked to be forgiven. Jeff accepted, thanked me, and asked for a break to process. Haven't heard from him since, and that was three months ago. My husband recently criticized me for not reaching out. I reminded him, Jeff asked for time, and I'm giving it to him. But here's the thing. I don't miss Jeff. Jeff brings his own challenges. Jeff stood up for us at our wedding. In every wedding photo, he wears the grim face of a Civil War soldier photographed on the battlefield. Not one smile. He's oddly controlling, i.e. he was angry with me for an extended period when I remodeled my kitchen without his supervision. I'm not angry at Jeff and would come to his aid without hesitation today if he called for anything, but I don't miss him, haven't had a brush outbreak since, and feel only relief by his absence. I'm embarrassed by non-romantic breakups, but not interested in resuming our regular contact. Out of deference to our long-standing friendship, should I reach out to Jeff to clean things up? Woo! Oh boy. Well, this blowout was a long time coming, wasn't it? Oh, that is, that's been a pressure cooker situation right there. I don't even know with what a beauty certificate means. I, I don't know. Basically, I'm picturing Warren Beatty and shampoo at this point. Okay, um, okay. As a guy, know. like a cosmetology certificate maybe, or I don't know, maybe he's really good looking or maybe he like works in hair and makeup. She does not like Jeff is the take home here. I was going to say, uh, I, I, I got to tell you, I think Jeff you're is not your friend. pretty clear-eyed about most of this. But when you say I'm not angry at Jeff, I just don't believe you. Uh, I think you hate Jeff. She absolutely hates Jeff. She does not want and Jeff in her life. I think this situation has resolved itself beautifully. <laughs> Except for the part where her husband doesn't like this situation, right? Well, Except Jeff for the part where her friend. husband... No, no, Jeff is, I think. Uh, my husband recently criticized me for not reaching out. Uh, so clearly her husband is like, I wish we could go back to our weekly dinners. Uh, it sounds to me, obviously there's no smoking gun here, but it sounds to me like Jeff came with her husband. Like he stood mm. up for them at the wedding. Her husband wants her to reach out. I don't think he'd be doing that if it was her friend necessarily. Like I think, I think Jeff is at the very least now a friend of the husband's and he wants them all to like hang out again, um, which maybe is not ever going to happen. That's true. Her husband may have to cultivate some resilience on that front. It's, I've had a break with a friend of 10 years. 10 years is a long time. Mm-hmm. You know, but I think this is one of those things where the internet has actually worked out well. 
which is that you might have had Jeff like a millstone around your neck your entire life if you lived in a time when you just automatically became friends with the person who lived next to you because you didn't see anybody else. Uh-huh. Like, it, it really sounds like Jeff was not pulling his weight in the, the friendship situation. Like, and she just doesn't like him is the other thing. I guess if I would tell my husband he was very welcome to hang out with Jeff on his own time. And if Jeff was interested in hanging out with us, fine. But I've apologized. I'm done. Right. Yeah. I mean, part of the problem is you clearly don't like Jeff and Jeff kind of clearly doesn't like you. And there's been this sort of like circling around each other for 10 years where like he clearly has this method of solving arguments that you can't stand. But it doesn't sound like you've challenged before. Um, you felt like there was a weird vibe from him at your wedding, but it sounds like you didn't say anything about that. And so finally it got to a point where you'd been holding in so much that you said something that you knew basically he would be unable to forgive. Um, so obviously on some level you, you wanted there to be a break, right? Or, or your inhibitions were lowered enough that you were like, I'm going to say all the stuff I've been saving up for 10 years. Um, and I think whatever you do next, you need to start by acknowledging like, I hate Jeff. I don't want to be his friend. So if I say something like, I want to be friends again, I didn't really mean that. And I need to think through, like, if he did take me up on that and we started hanging out again and I just, like, again, like, let him do all this stuff that drives me crazy and that I hate, I'm eventually going to call him something awful again. And you you don't want that, right? Like, that's not the kind of person that you would like to be. It would have been much better if you had said, like, eight years ago, Jeff, I really hate it when you solve an argument by reading your phone at me. Please knock it off. Um, as opposed to getting to the point where you're like, you're a 10th grade dropout, because um, that's a really unkind thing to say. I I, I have had a similar experience to this uh, a number of years ago. I had a friend, not like terribly, terribly close, but somebody I knew and, and got along with. And there were things about our friendship, the dynamic that was like frustrating to me, but I thought it'd be rude to speak up. And then they did something that I felt like was insulting to me. And I just like snapped and said something that I kind of knew they felt really vulnerable about um, and that would be incredibly hurtful. And it was. And I felt really bad. Um, I wasn't quite at Jeff levels. Like I didn't I hadn't resented them for a decade, but I felt really ashamed of like having said something I knew would really hurt them. And I apologized. And like they said, appreciate the apology and I forgive you, but I need some time. And, you know, that was the end of the friendship. Like I didn't I didn't get to continue to be friends with that person. And um, it was a little different because I, I, I would have liked to continue a friendship, but I had to respect that, that like they forgave me. They they weren't going to like carry around. Uh, they weren't going to carry it around for the rest of their lives, but it made them no longer interested in, in being my friend. And, um, you know, I had to kind of accept that and then also figure out like, how can I change my behavior in the future so that like, if I have frustrations, I can bring it up before I get to the level of I'm going to say something really awful to force some sort of conflict. Um, that's not a good place to be at, right? Like, that's not good. The fact that she mentioned that she has not since this time had any boorish uh, outbursts suggests that she definitely doesn't like the version of herself that she is in Jeff's company. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think you just need to be honest with your husband. I think that's the solution to your problem here. I think you just need to say to him, I'm really embarrassed by how I acted. A lot of stuff about Jeff drives me crazy, but I didn't speak up about it at the time and instead like did something I'm embarrassed about. But I apologized. Jeff accepted it and said he needs time. I'm actually not interested in becoming close with him. I don't like him. I don't I don't think that we make good friends. And I know that that's not going to be very fun for you, but I just need to be honest about that. So if you want to spend more time with Jeff, um, you know, I can't force him to want to be close to me. I have apologized. He's accepted it. The ball's really in his court at this point. If he wants to reestablish contact, he doesn't. And I got to tell you, like, I don't either. Um, so, you know, I understand that you want us to all three be friends. I don't think that's going to happen. Um, and we need to 
accept that and figure out how you can be a part of Jeff's life in a way that you can live with, um, how I can be like civil to him if we see one another um, and not like come to blows. But I'm I'm not going to go back to those weekly dinners like those days I think are over. I think we nailed it. Man. Yeah. No, that's a bummer. I'm sure it's hard if you are in a like long term marriage to have a person that you used to both be friends with. And then at some point, either through like a huge fight or just drifting, like only one of you is kind of still close with them and the other one doesn't really want to spend time with them. I'm sure that's really tricky. I really want to ask you if you have any examples, but like you are married and uh, I, I'm not I know ask I'm you mentally like, doing the math on whether, you know, anyone involved in the situation would ever listen to a podcast and find out <laughs> you could always, talking about them. You could always say this is really hypothetical. I don't know anyone that my husband likes and I don't um, on this. We are two hearts with but a single thought. Two hearts, but, oh. single thought. Or two minds, but a single thought rather. Sorry, Burns or whoever said that. Um Cool. Well, uh, let's move on to a completely different topic, uh, which I'm really excited to hear you talk about, because if I remember correctly, you said that there was one letter you just didn't care about. Yay. Do you want me to read it? Yes, I do. Dear Prudence, how can a man best compliment a female colleague's, acquaintance's, or total stranger's clothing, new hairstyle, perfume, or the like, without being creepy or contributing to the sexual objectification that many, most, all women unfortunately suffer? For what it's worth, I compliment men about the very same things, and I appreciate when I occasionally receive such compliments from men or women. There's something about a well-timed compliment from an unexpected source that just feels good. At the same time, I recognize that women deal with all kinds of unwanted attention and harassment on a regular basis, and I do not want to be a part of that in any way. Nicole, do you care about this question? I do not care about this question. <laughs> this is not a real problem. This is not a real thing. This is Matt McGorry in question form. <laughs> All the men like this I have ever known on Twitter, I have muted because there's nothing less interesting to me than performative allyship. And this, it's, it's just fine. Like, be nice to people. Don't worry about it. I kind of love the idea. What's the one size fits all approach for colleagues, acquaintances, and strangers. You know, Especially how you perfume. treat the people you work the same way that you treat a stranger walking past you on the street. You know how you I like, like the, the same... way you smell, stranger on the street. <laughs> yeah, I just uh, th don't treat your colleagues the same way you treat your personal acquaintances and don't treat your personal acquaintances the same way that you treat strangers. Read basic social cues. Like if someone's crying or on their headphones or on the phone or like in the middle of a presentation, now's really not the time to say that you like the way their collarbone smells uh, like or wherever people put perfume. Um, it's perfectly fine if somebody that you see regularly gets a new hairstyle to say, hey, you got a haircut. I like your hair. Uh, leave it at that. Don't touch it. Uh, I, I feel like I shouldn't have to give you that advice, but sometimes people try to touch other people's hair. Don't do that. Um, follow like the basic general rule of like if they seem creeped out back off right like this isn't hard i i don't know i've never i've i've never like found it really difficult of like oh so many strangers have this amazing clothes that i just can't talk to them about like that's not a problem man like don't just let people have clothes and and kind of kind of leave it at that if you feel really moved to tell someone you like their coat or whatever just say like that's a really great coat um Use the As same opposed to you intonation. look nice in the coat, you know, like it's always better to compliment the thing in that instance. So it right, doesn't seem right. like a weird personal intrusion. Also, do right. not compliment the same female colleague twice. You get right. one that's, in your whole relationship with your female colleague. That's the other thing, especially if it's people you work with. Like if there's a big change, if they have like a brand new coat on, you can say it like your coat. But again, like 
if if you are like regularly complimenting their appearance, there's a big difference between like walking down the street and hearing a stranger say like, hey, I like your shoes. You have a great smile. And like moving on with my life. That's really pleasant versus if I went into the office and like four times a week, someone I sat three desks away from was like, I love your like pants. I don't know. I'd feel weird. I'd just like stop checking my pants. Like Leave leave my pants be. Um, I feel I feel frankly a little mean now towards this guy because as we were having the conversation, I'm like, obviously you should follow these three or four like slightly complicated role rules that apparently I had for this in my head. Yeah, Perhaps no, it's, it's more fair. Fraught. Like there, sorry, there are sir. social cues that are for some folks like really easy to read, and for other people like they need a little more like time to think about them or, or like uh, overt training in. So I yeah, I don't want to like mock this person if they genuinely um, like don't have a super easy time reading social cues. Um, which may or may not be the case. I don't want to make assumptions. Um, and I do want to acknowledge it is nice to get a well-timed compliment from an unexpected source. But yeah, bear in mind, like, does this person have to see you a lot? Do they report to you? Um, like, do, you know, do they seem weirded out when you have mentioned their appearance in the past? Because if their response has been to kind of shut down or look away or be like, oh, thank you, uh, but they're clearly uncomfortable, you know, that says something about how it makes them feel. And obviously, you don't want to offer compliments that make people feel uncomfortable. Like, you clearly want to make them feel happy, um, which is good. I- I'm coming around on this person, Nicole. I got to say, this know, person does I not know. seem like that kind of guy who pretends to not be able to read social cues because He's he asking. wants to make people uncomfortable. I think he genuinely, like, wants to be helpful. So I would say treat colleagues differently from strangers treat strangers differently from acquaintances um focus on the haircut or the article of clothing and not like it makes you look fill in the adjective here because that can sometimes get a little excessively personal um keep your tone bright like don't uh, don't invite like a deep conversation about personal appearance with them um and uh you know limit it don't 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 dole out compliments on a super regular basis about appearance to people that you work with Anything else I'm leaving out, Nicole? No, I think that's pretty good. I think it's, look, we've learned. We've grown. I think that's great. I tell you what. Yeah, yeah, we really came around on you, Guy. Um, Yeah, yeah. Uh, And if you do those things, I don't think that you will be contributing in any way to harassment. um, And I don't think you need to worry about it. If someone ever says, hey, the way you complimented me made me feel uncomfortable, try not to be defensive and just say, I'm really sorry I won't do it again. Um, Because that's valuable feedback to have, too. And, like, you don't always know one person might be really happy to hear something and somebody else might not love it. Um, it's always better to err on the side of caution. Nicole, I bet you look great today. Thank you. Thank you. I do. I do. I bet you look great, too. I like your haircut. Thank you. Thank you. I did recently get a haircut, so this is actually a totally appropriate thing to say to me. I really like my haircut as well. Um, We have one last question that I swear I literally just picked because I was like, they went to Harvard. Nicole went to Harvard. And uh, I he went to Harvard Law. He went to a lesser Ivy undergrad. I just want to get that oh, out there. Oh, sorry. Sorry, sorry, sorry. I. Which one do you think you went to? Well, see, I've been puzzling this one over because the sentence is, I then went to an Ivy League university for undergrad through Harvard Law and then straight into my dream job. And mm-hmm. I'm like, since he wanted us to know he went to Harvard Law, if he had gone to Harvard for undergrad, he definitely would have said so. So I'm right. thinking, mm, Penn. Okay, right. Because if it had been Yale or Princeton, he'd probably want to say it too, right? For sure. Because if for you're sure. going to drop the name, Yale and Princeton are still droppable. Um, where do you think the cutoff is for dropping? Like, just if we're speculating idly. It, honestly, it's it's Harvard, Yale, Princeton after that. Those are the only ones that are worth That's dropping? It. What's what's right below the cutoff? What's the next one that you could almost drop, but you can't? Uh, is it Dartmouth? No, Dartmouth is definitely below the cutoff. Okay. Um, hmm, I, I went to Stanford. A, it's so warm and beautiful. 
Stanford. You can, okay, you can drop Stanford. Um, I, I I went to a very non-competitive college in suburban Los Angeles. So this fascinates me. Um, the idea of wanting to brag about where you went to school. It's the uh, dumbest so, thing in the world. No, it's fascinating. It's great. Like everybody drops something. Do you know what I mean? Like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna harsh this guy's Harvard Law mellow just because I didn't go to a school worth bragging about. I would totally brag if I'd gone to a good school. Probably. I should read this question. I should read this question. Yes. Oh, God. Yes. Yeah. We haven't actually done that. We're just speculating on where they went for. Okay. I'm going to Google list of Ivies in order while you read this question. You do that. Dear Prudence, I've been very lucky. I grew up in a large working class family that struggled to get by. Sometimes my parents couldn't afford to get to work. I was able to get a scholarship to an elite boarding school where I excelled. I then went to an Ivy League university for undergrad through Harvard Law and then straight into my dream job. I have two problems, though, and I think they're interrelated. First, I feel disconnected from my family, having only gone home at certain times of the year since the age of 12, and spending the rest of time, my time with people whose lives I couldn't even dream about before starting boarding school, I've become a completely different person from the rest of my family. My siblings think I'm a snob, and it's becoming harder and harder to connect on any real level with any of my immediate family. The other problem is I don't want to be typecast as a member of the professional elite. I worked hard to get to where I am now, but that said, I don't want to jump in every time I mention my background that I only went to these places because I had scholarships, etc. I feel guilty about my life to this point, and even though I know I shouldn't, I don't know what to do. So just as background here, I myself grew up in a working class family and got a scholarship to an Ivy League university. Um, and I think when I came home my first Christmas, my parents put on Mrs. Miniver, and my parents and my brother clearly had an inside joke that I'd become like the annoying son who's just gone to university character in Mrs. Miniver. So I think I can probably like relate to this, definitely. I just want to point out that that's amazing. And uh, I also want to point out that according to this like college confidential messaging board, everyone's ranking the Ivies. And it seems like the one right below Princeton is Columbia. So almost droppable, but not quite as Columbia. That sounds fine. Sound, does that check out? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Take us away because uh, this is this is not my story. So I'm interested to hear what you have to say about this. Sure. Um, well, for starters, I, I really wouldn't um, over-relate question one and two, sir. I don't think that they're necessarily as connected as you think. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I uh, I think something that would be helpful to keep in mind as you go through this is that other people are thinking about you a lot less than you think they are. Like when you say my siblings think I'm a snob, that's, it's something funny you can say when someone is there for like a a dinner, you know, like find some way to relate to them via your shared interests or family past or something like that. You know, I mean, if you're walking around like talking about your Ivy League education and dream job constantly, like that would be tedious regardless of their situation or your own. Um, in terms of being typecast as a member of the professional elite, like I, I definitely have done that. Like I was on financial aid thing, but the further you get out from college, the less anybody cares at all ever about it. I I really think you're going to find this takes care of itself in about five years. Yeah, I feel like I, I don't want to dismiss the idea that their family members genuinely do feel like this is a problem, even though, as you say, yes, they're probably not like staying up late into the night being like, oh, Charles, you're so different. Like, uh, so terribly you know. different. Yeah, I, I'm sure that they're OK, but it's possible that there is a wedge and that your siblings do feel that way and that like this is a genuine disconnect that's hard for you. Um, and part of that's natural because, as you said, you've been gone since you were 12. Like, part of that's not even related to the fact that you have taken, like, a much more prestigious, fancy, uh, like, 
social educational track. Some of it's just you've been gone a lot. Um, and, and so, like, the question of how to connect is, like, ask more questions, I think. Um, find out, like, what interests them and what they've been up to and, like, whether that's a new relationship, uh, a new aspect of their own jobs, their own school, their friends, like, sports or activities that they participate in, like, be genuinely interested in learning about them, even if you don't relate to them on a surface level, like even if it's really different from the stuff that you've experienced. Um, I think uh, like demonstrate a genuine interest in what's going on with them. And that will go a long way towards um, not making you feel like you're totally disconnected, I think. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, I think that it's becoming harder to connect on any real level with my immediate family. I kind of don't buy that. Like, I kind of don't think that you are now doomed um, this isn't the secret history. You're not like doomed to only connect with people named Bunny, um, <laughs> who have like you know Ivy festooned triple bathrooms or something. I don't know what rich people are like. Um, like you are able to connect with people who did not go to an Ivy League college. I promise you, you're a capable adult um, who could find ways to connect with other adults, um, even if they did not go to a prestigious university or have a dream job, um, if they just have a job. Like, I promise you, you have enough in common as, like, members of humanity um, that if you really, like, apply the full force of your intelligence and emotional capacity, you will find a way to connect with people if that's what you really want. If you're if you're finding it harder to connect with them because on some level you feel embarrassed by them, um, because part of you feels like you are a better person because you uh, have been to Harvard Law, then, yeah, that's going to be a real barrier. And I think you have to kind of ask yourself really objectively, like, am I doing that? Like, is there a part of me that is not interested in what's going on with them or their problems or their goals and their aspirations and that kind of dismisses them? Because, you know, be really honest about that, because if that's a, if that's a, a part of your interaction with them, um, it's going to show, they're going to pick up on it, and they're not going to want to spend a ton of time with you. Um, which I hope is not the case, or if it is the case, I hope you're able to nip it in the bud and kind of acknowledge that you're bringing a lot of like uncertainty about your own status to the table, and that that is affecting your relationship with them, and that you would want to do something to circumvent that. That'd be great. Um, the other thing about t being typecast as a member of the professional elite um, I don't know. I mean, you are a member of the professional elite. And I get that what you're saying is that you were not like to the manor born um, and that there are ways in which your background and your upbringing were not like a lot of the people who go to Harvard Law or have the kind of job that you have. Um, but it's also like not untrue uh, that that's a part of your story now. And I think that you need to acknowledge it. Um, I think it's totally fine, like in the course of conversation to like talk frankly about going there on scholarship. You don't have to do it in a way that's either making an excuse or sounding embarrassed. You can just say, I got really lucky. I got to go to college on a scholarship and then I was fortunate to go to Harvard Law. Like, absolutely, you can acknowledge it. Um but I think to do so lightly as opposed to like, oh, it's this big, heavy burden. I'm very misunderstood or, you know, don't think of me like this other group of people. We have nothing in common. I think that that's going to make things tougher for you. Gosh, that was apparently a lot. I had a lot of thoughts about that. No, it's it's definitely this. You know, you weren't a coal miner, right? Like it's it's it's. And you've been kind of living fancy since you were 12, by all accounts. The boarding school thing is, you know, I want to give it a little more weight here because I think, you know, if you just go off to college – and then you, you right. know, feel kind of fancy. That's one thing. But, you know, from the age of 12 onwards, you're not living with your family, which is not normal in terms of the experience that, like, most people have in their lives. Like, I don't want to downplay that that might make you feel slightly unsettled and aloof in this situation. But I sense that you might be going into interactions with a lot of defensiveness 
on this point. It may be that your siblings, you know, interact. You, you may have a family where kind of like busting each other's chops is a lot of your, you know, get togethers. And right. this is the thing they bust your chops for. If you right. had backed over someone's car at the last Thanksgiving, that's what they would do instead. And I do, I do want to acknowledge too, like they talk about there was a time when like their parents couldn't afford to go to work. So the, the, it, like it, it was like genuinely like they were struggling. Like I, I don't want to make it sound like you were fine. Um, um, like that's, you're absolutely right. Like this is a huge shift and like class matters and economic security matters and they play a huge role in like where you spend your time and who you spend it with. So I don't want to like dismiss your problem as like it's all just in your head. Just try harder and you'll be fine. Like, um, absolutely. You jumped up a level. You jumped up a big level. And that is something that like you want to acknowledge. You don't want to pretend isn't there, but you also don't want it to define how you relate to your family. And I just like I hear that. I get that. Um, but I definitely think that like connection with your family is possible, even with your really different um, life experiences that you've had. And I'm sure at least at least your parents are like probably really happy that you are not in a position where you have to like struggle to afford to get yourself to work. Like absolutely. I think that like you got to go to boarding school and got these scholarships. I, I hope it seems it doesn't seem like you succeeded despite your family. I think they're probably really happy for you um, in a lot of ways that you've been able to like achieve some of your goals. And that's that's a good thing. Um, so I don't know. I have, I have a lot of faith that you'll be able to like navigate this well with them. You seem like a good person. They seem like good people. Um, the fact can, that connecting with your family is. is a goal for you is fantastic. You know, that, yes. like that's definitely the question imbued with more emotional weight here. It's clearly less of a factor that, you know, sometimes he wants people to know he had scholarships. It's more that he feels this sense of disconnect. And if that's where you want to put your emotional energies, I think you'll be rewarded for it. Yeah. And I think the less disconnected you feel from your own roots, um, the less you'll feel that sort of concern about being typecast because you'll you'll feel more secure in terms of like, this is my family. This is where I come from. Um, Nicole, do you want to hear the rest of the list? Yes, go for tell it. Me, tell me if it's accurate. Uh, Harvard, Yale, Princeton, Columbia, Brown, Penn, Dartmouth, Cornell. Does that ring true? Would you change any of those? No. I mean, here's the thing. It's just the top three. The others are made up. This is amazing. This is exactly what everyone else is saying in the, in the forum, which I am now obsessed with. Uh, somebody else wrote my opinion just for kicks, and they wrote Penn for the first seven, um, which I thought was funny. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. This is amazing. This is incredible. I'm fascinated by this. Uh, they're talking about now the oh my gosh factor. This is incredible. Oh, Do you wow. want to come to reunions with me sometime? It could be fun for you. Uh, one of my favorite things in the world is when you post um, the personals from the Harvard Alumni Magazine. Oh, yeah. Was, was it the last one? They somehow managed to fit the word slender in like twice. three times. Oh, twice? Twice. No, it's amazing. The, the way the Harvard Magazine personals work is that 90% of them are divorced women in their 50s who are trying to get uh -huh. like an old dying rich man. And they can't say like, I'm very skinny and you need to be very old and very rich. So instead, they use code words like enjoys business class travel, which I think oh is just God. the greatest phrase I've ever heard That's in my life. That's an incredible code. Enjoys business class travel. And they just say, they say things like thin Audrey Hepburn body type, like that sort of oh thing. Oh, my God. Oh, um, my God. And then very, very occasionally, like last week, a guy will be like, I'm old. I'm going to die soon. I would like a slender young thing. But it's almost always women going for it. It's very <laughs> depressing. And the number of code words for rich and skinny that I have discovered through it are really beautiful. I hope someday you compile a glossary of all of those words and you publish it somewhere so that we all um, 
the next time we are looking through the Harvard personals, as I'm sure we all do, even though we don't like to admit it, everyone does it, uh, that we know how to navigate it well. I, I certainly will. I will do that for you. Ugh. Nicole, thank you so much for being on the show. I am so happy to have been on the show. And I'm annoyed it took this long, but I've gotten yep. over it. Yeah. Um, before I send you away, uh, I actually want to let the people know that they will be able to see you and me in person together again, getting the band back together uh, next year in April at BinderCon. Oh, it's going to be the most fun. It's in L.A. You can buy yep. tickets now. Uh, we're going to have great patter. And usually yes. one of us says something wildly indiscreet when we get in front of a microphone. So that's yeah. going to be great. Yeah, that's true. We usually we usually reveal uh, one or two dark secrets. It's going to be April 1st and 2nd uh, next year in 2017. And you can get tickets at shop.bindercon.com. But yeah, you and I, I think, are keynote speakers. We are speaking. We are with the first the keynote. keynote speakers. Are we talking about the what are what have we decided what we're going to talk about? Uh, not even a little bit. I think it's probably going to be something like, you know, reaching for your dreams or women in media or or putting your dreams back away after 3 years and community dreams. I don't know. I'm so glad I did this. This was really fun. I am too. Nicole, thank you. I so hope you get hate mail from people who went to lesser ivies. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Casey Miner. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Steve Lichtai is the executive producer of Slate Podcasts. And Andy Bowers is the chief content officer of Panoply. If you like this show, please go to iTunes and write us a review. Reviews help new listeners find the podcast, and then they ask us questions, and the podcast continues forever. Plus, my producer loves reading them. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401 371 Dear, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it to 30 seconds or a minute, and then send it to me at prudencepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>